Welcome everyone to episode four, Engaging Your Followers Remotely. I'm Garrett, once again, joined by Andy Hughes, back on Zoom. Circumstances in the world have changed yet again, and when we planned this episode, we were meeting in person in the GLC office, but now we're back on Zoom. But so great to be here with you, Andy. How are you doing? You know, I, I would be lying, Garrett, if I said everything was just fine. I mean, I, I know our I share a lot of the same sense of loss that I think the rest of the community feels right now in terms of having to make a quick pivot to mostly most of the campus online. While the college works so hard to get everyone together on campus and the coronavirus just got the best of us. And so I, you know, I think I am still sort of wrestling with what that means for the semester, but feeling a, a deep sense of loss for folks. But I'm a, also a very optimistic person and, and positive, and I think that's what leaders need to do in these challenging times. And so, you know, I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you to see how we can add value to the community as we make this shift uh, again. You know, obviously the, the campus has been strained and been divided, I think has, has been a word that's been used, but every meeting is going to be happening essentially virtually. So that's sort of, it's, it's what's guiding our, our question mindset for today of, of how can you engage your uh, followers remotely from an organizational standpoint, promote positive change. And, and then also we want to focus on you as a leader, think about how you can avoid screen exhaustion. You know, a lot of us, even last spring, were, were very tired of Zoom after six weeks, six weeks of classes. Uh, and now we have, you know, potentially 11 more weeks of Zoom class. So how do we avoid uh, screen exhaustion and make sure that we're doing our, keeping ourselves healthy along the way too? Yeah, and I think this is such a pivotal topic, Garrett, not just because of the pivot that we have made as a campus community, but also we, we know that connection and relationships are even more important when we're spread out. And so, you know, I think anything we can do to talk about the the practical ways of thinking through how to be continue to be engaged and stay connected to people in meaningful ways. And I think there's, there is some things we can do using uh, virtual meetings and remote learning that I know work. And so I, I think we, we should have a good episode to focus on that. So Andy, in terms of theory, you know, we, we've, we've talked about self-awareness, we've talked about finding your flow. Um, so we've talked about pretty concrete leadership theories uh, in, the, in the discipline. And, and this one is a little bit of uncharted territory, I think we can say. There's, because this is also new, um, you know, virtual meetings aren't new, but the prevalence of them is new, right? So you could say the scholarship on it is, is pretty non-existent or very um, in a fledgling state. So what have you come across uh, over the past few months as this has become sort of what we do, virtual meetings, um, in which you've come across, you know, different authors talking about how to engage people remotely how to conduct a good virtual meeting and how to keep yourself sane in the whole process. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about two sort of areas of research that I wanted to comment on, Garrett, that I think could be useful. I mean, there's, there's lots of different lenses that you could look at uh, virtual engagement and virtual meetings through, but I wanted to talk about two things. And the first is around this idea of engagement in general and I'm familiar with some research that the Gallup organization has done about engagement in the workplace. And I, I want to talk about their research, not necessarily because it, it doesn't give us a whole lot of answers, but what it does is actually paint the picture of how challenging it is to get groups and individuals engaged. So Gallup has been measuring employee engagement uh, really since 2000. And one of their, their 
their studies back in 2000, came up with sort of three categories of engagement for employees, whether they were engaged, disengaged, or actively disengaged. And what that actively disengaged means that they were, employees were sort of uh, more of a burden than anything to their organizations. It, it seemed as though almost a third of employers were actively disengaged and less than 20% of employees were actually engaged. So if you think about that, Garrett, you've got almost two thirds of our workforce who are either disengaged or actively disengaged, right? So I, what I appreciate about this research, it points to the, the challenge that leaders are faced with is how, how do we ensure that our teams, our employees are in it with us, right? In engaged in their, the, the meaning of their work. And, you know, I think some of the, the tools we have in the GLC that um, also associated with Gallup, the StrengthsFinder assessment, for example, is designed to try to help employees find their particular role based on their strengths. The other piece of information I thought might be relevant is some of the work that Google has done on Teams. And I mentioned Teams because, you know, not every group is, a, is officially a team, but most of work and most of projects and, um, and progress is made through small groups these days, right? And what Google did is survey what makes a team effective and what are some of the dynamics that are in play to produce that sense of productivity. And they came up with sort of five areas that uh, are universal for the teams that they, they identified. And, and what we'll do is we'll point to some some of this information on the website, but the five areas were psychological safety. So it's where team members feel safe to take risks and be vulnerable in front of each other. Um, dependability, so people who uh, get things done on time and um, follow through on their commitments. Structure and clarity, so members have clear roles and plans and goals. Meaning, people feel like their work matters and that, that it's personally important to them and the organization, and then impact. So this is that the fact that people's work and the reason that they come together actually has a, an impact on something in the organization. So my thought is that if us as leaders are thinking about those five things, when we are bringing people together, whether that's um, in a meeting or on projects, that we consider those five areas in, in approaching good, effective engagement in, in the work that we do. I think, so one word that, I, that encapsulates that, I think is just intentionality, right? I think as a leader or as a facilitator, whenever you have a meeting, it's, it's incumbent upon you as the facilitator to prepare ahead of time uh, to make sure that as, we, as Google has found, there, there's meaning in your work, people feel like they're uh, having an impact and people feel like they're being guided and have a structure and, and clear expectations. So Garrett, one of the ways in this COVID-19 world that we can engage people is through virtual meetings. And I understand that we have a famous guest with us today, one of our uh, very own GLC team members. Yeah, we have uh, Mr. Paul Miller, uh, director of the GLC uh, with us today. Paul has been with the GLC for Couple years now, Andy, almost four or five, is that right? Four years, yeah. Uh, and, and Paul is an exceptional facilitator and he is uh, an expert in virtual facilitation. And so, with that, Paul, welcome, and we'll jump right into the questions. 
So I guess firstly, I wanted to start with thinking back towards last spring. And I know we've done a lot of that recently in terms of turning to remote and different remote meetings. And I wanted to ask you what your views have been in terms of experiencing that being on the receiving end of different calls and actually running different calls. What are some things you initially noticed, some things that maybe didn't go too well? And then what have sort of you done and you noticed people doing since then to make meetings more engaging or, or just more fun and active now that they become so much more prevalent? Well, first of all, Garrett, thanks for having me. I'll start with the last question that you asked. And I don't know if Zoom meetings have gotten all that much more fun or interactive. Prior to COVID-19, many of us remarked, uh, both students and professionals, on just how much we dislike meetings. Oftentimes they feel like a poor use of time, they're not organized, folks get bored, people are disengaged. Uh, so meetings have always been a challenge. I, I think the shift to conduct meetings virtually hasn't improved that situation at all. Uh, staying engaged during uh, any meeting can be a challenge and virtual meetings introduce all sorts of problems like Zoom fatigue, uh, distractions, poor connectivity, distracting things in the backgrounds of folks' uh, Zoom calls. So I, I would suggest that um, the experience has not been one that's positive, um, but as a professional facilitator, learn there are lots of things you can do to, to make meetings more engaging and much more positive experience for folks, both virtually and also in real life. So I think it'd be helpful for our listeners and I think for us to, in our discussion here to have you think back to a, to a time or a meeting uh, maybe over the summer or even maybe since you've been back where you were on a call with other other professional staff or in general where you felt the meeting was just absolutely dead people were looking at their emails during the meeting or people just really weren't focused what do you think in that context um, <laughs> would have been more helpful for people to become more engaged who holds that responsibility in terms of facilitator and and, and participant in, the, in those sorts of settings? Great, Garrett. Great question. I think like in a lot of leadership topics, that responsibility is co-shared by both the uh, facilitator. I'm going to start using the word designer of the meeting. And then also the folks that are uh, participants or the group that the design is for. So as a, as a facilitator, you know, it's, it's, it's my responsibility to create a space where the group, the folks that are in the meeting can be set up for success. And uh, <laughs> Garrett, this is going to take me a little bit because quite honestly, I try to communicate and extract myself from meetings that I anticipate are going to be like this because <laughs> they just drive me nuts. So anytime a meeting can be an email or anytime a meeting has too many folks on it or anytime a meeting isn't going to be designed well, unless it's part of my job to show up. I really try to find ways to, to extract myself from that meeting because I know it's not going to be beneficial for anyone. Uh, but let me answer your question. So this past summer, uh, I was part of a series of meetings. And from the get-go, I knew it was going to be a problem because the intent of the meeting was unclear. Uh, a group of folks had been pulled together to, uh, to talk about a topic that was important and meaningful, but the group didn't know what the outcome of the conversation was going to be. We didn't know if there was a specific deliverable that we needed to create, or if there was certain information that we needed to provide or a decision that needed to be made. Uh, so that was, the, that was the first issue. And that, that is my first advice to anyone designing a meeting, be really clear on what the purpose of the meeting is. Uh, be really clear on what you want the experience of the meeting participants to be. I think one really important thing to establish for every meeting is intent. Uh, and uh, some colleagues in the facilitation world, uh, we and me have a saying, 
connection before content. Like that's key, connection before content. So even if a meeting has really high consequence outcomes and a decision needs to be made or product needs to be produced, you've got to connect with the people on the call at the top of the meeting or you won't know who you're meeting with. And in a virtual world, uh, that's more challenging, but also much more important. So back to this, back to the story of poor meetings this summer. Of course, all the typical Zoom distractions happened. Uh, people's quality was cutting in and out. Folks were dropped from the call and couldn't get back in. Uh, the person that was hosting the call was trying to do too much. They were both trying to lead a discussion, also take notes, and also share their screen. Uh, and there were like six different things happening. Uh, so generally, the meeting was a hot mess. And uh, we got exactly what we thought we would get, which is nothing. <laughs> One thing that might be helpful here is to talk a little bit for a couple minutes about different ways in which you don't necessarily have to have a Zoom meeting, uh, that you can still get the same work and the same connection done. Sure, Garrett. So to have a meeting or not, it, it really comes down to what's the outcome. If the outcome can be achieved through something that happens more quickly and more efficiently and with greater care to the folks that are working together on the project, through a means that isn't a meeting, you shouldn't have a meeting. Uh, so a lot of times I think meetings are held for accountability. You have a work group coming together to work on a shared product and they've done a great job and they figured out what are the roles, um, what are our strengths, who's gonna do what, uh, and then they, they come back together in order to check in to see how the work is going. Um, I think that oftentimes those, those meetings for accountability uh, can be done through a lot of different tools that aren't face-to-face or virtual meetings. Often I find that the best sequence is to, you know, use a tool like Slack or even text messages or GroupMe or um, any real-time chat. But I think that initial check-in to see how progress is going is, is often one of the first indicators of a meeting that doesn't need to be a meeting. So I'm often an advocate for not having meetings um, and I tend to lean heavily in that direction. However, during this time when so many things are, are turned upside down and many of the rituals that we've come to rely on for a sense of safety and security are absent, uh, I think that meetings can function as a really helpful ritual for folks. I think another principle you can use when you're thinking about is a meeting necessary is do I have time to design a good meeting? Meetings should never happen unless there's been intent put behind what are people walking into? What's the first thing they're gonna see? What's the first thing they're gonna hear? What type of space are we gonna have? Um, what are the specific deliverables and outcomes? If, if a meeting organizer doesn't have time to put into doing that design work, then the meeting shouldn't occur. I think I tend to err on the side of you sometimes of, of being like, is this really necessary? Can we, can we do this other, other ways? But nonetheless, the, the point of this episode is when those virtual meetings come about. And I want to turn back to that, thinking about what are some things that leaders or student leaders can do to conduct uh, a positive and valuable, and most importantly, engaging online meeting experience. Great. I think a, a tool that a lot of folks use um, that are busy and that don't have time to create a meeting from scratch every week is using a meeting template. So put the time and energy into thinking through who is my group? What are the outcomes that we need to achieve? What's the experience? Do the design work, but do that well once, and then simply use that template week to week. Um, some specific recommendations for design. First, you have to manage the energy of the meeting. You know, open discussions tend to move slower than in person. So you have to use tools like the chat function, breakout groups, and shared whiteboard space to get people engaged. 
Um, some other things you can do to manage the energy is to shift the focus of participants every four to six minutes. You know, this can be done through screen sharing, breakout groups, individual work, essentially get them to need to change kind of what their mindset is, how they're interacting with the meeting. And then finally, like I've said before, you really need to begin the meeting with an opportunity for connection. Connect participants with each other and the topic. Find ways to connect people to the value of the meeting, and that's going to help with your engagement. Second practical thing is if it's um, a complex design, have a second facilitator. Uh, This person can serve as the producer. Uh, They manage the technology so that your energy, the meeting host or facilitator, uh, can be on the people. Uh, Next, you want to help people prepare for the meeting. You know, send down a detailed agenda that let folks know what's, what's the data so that they don't have to spend time reviewing documents um, and analyzing while on the call. You know, you can also help them prepare for the meeting by sending out some decisions that need to be made and some framing bullet points. Uh, this will allow them to, to engage with better questions while everyone's on the call. Uh, and then finally, and this is one I'm guilty of all the time, I try to limit the use of unfamiliar platforms. There are a lot of different options out there, hundreds actually, for meeting engagement. If you were to uh, host a meeting with multiple different platforms, you're gonna spend most of that meeting just helping people get up to speed on the technology. So I find the rule of thumb is no more than two platforms per meeting. So that's your video conferencing and the tools that are embedded, that's one platform. Uh, and then something else, whatever it is, but generally no more than two platforms. If you're going more than that, or if it's a new platform, you often need to host a pre-meeting to teach people how to use it, help them get comfortable. I want to maybe zoom back out a little bit. My second to last question, it's more sort of philosophical, I think. And <laughs> it's, you know, how do we not lose sight of the important work that we're doing when a lot of interactions are less intimate? How do you sort of frame the why of the meeting and make it more meaningful? Yeah, that's a great question, Garrett, because meetings are all about humanity and they are, are about connection. So to answer your question, I think it's, it's find ways in the virtual meeting to uh, facilitate, to help create opportunities for that connection. You know, oftentimes in the past, in real life, our meetings were held in these sterile meeting spaces. And that was by design. It's, it's by design that we enter a space that is, creates a sense of equality where, you know, we're sitting at a round table often instead of a square table or a table with a clear, you know, like a boardroom table where there's a clear head at the table. Uh, because we want people to feel as if their ideas are on an equal playing field with all the other ideas that are around that table. Now we're working in a, in a space where we get to see into the rooms and lives of other folks on the call. And oftentimes, um, if there's no intention behind that, it doesn't lead anywhere uh, positive. It can actually lead to pr- some pretty problematic assumptions. To create opportunities for intimacy and humanity, um, the designer of the meeting needs to invite folks to share individually you know, pieces of their life that would be appropriate for the other folks in the meeting to know. They can do that through taking time in the meeting, they can bring an object into the meeting to present, um, or they can simply, you know, choose a virtual background that expresses uh, a little bit more about who they are. You know, other ideas are, let's take a pause at the top of the meeting and everyone go select an object from around you that represents something you care about. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's really helpful. And especially uh, using the space around you. I think a lot of times when we have virtual meetings, we're, like you said, we're, we're so concerned with what's happening in the background that either taking away that background or using that background to your advantage of using the space that everyone's in and bringing that all together. 
think creates a really comfortable environment that people are are willing and, and accepting to sort of participate in. The final question I have is, is going to be a little more technical. And that is, you know, we've gone through a couple of different tools today. And I was wondering if there's maybe a particular program or, you know, website that you use in your facilitations with us at the GLC or with Grab or with any other student organization. What are some things that maybe student leaders haven't really come across or that you found really helpful? Um, then that can be pretty intuitive and good to use in, in virtual meetings. Uh, so I think when, when you're the meeting organizer, uh, there's a couple really simple things you can do uh, technically that will help you better convey and better engage uh, the group that you're working with. Uh, the first thing you can do is turn up your energy. It feels a little bit inauthentic at first, but we all know when we're looking at people on screens, kind of the, the resting faces uh, of the group are not generally positive. Um, so as a facilitator, if you don't do anything different than you normally do, your message may be lost because it's under-communicated. Uh, we have much less visual cues to work on. So finding a way to turn up your energy before you get on the call is, is really, really helpful. Uh, the next thing that you can do, and this takes a bit of doing, but it's worth the time and energy, and that's stand. If you're facilitating in real life, uh, it's rare that you facilitate from a seated position if you're trying to convey energy and excitement. The same is true for uh, our virtual world. Be intentional is the key. You know, think about the angle of your camera. Think about your lighting. Um, think about your internet connection. All those things that you know, uh, simply take the time to sort it out so that when you're going to be leading a meeting of consequence, uh, you don't have those distractions and those things working against the good design work you've done. Uh, so Garrett, you've asked about a technical tool. And as I mentioned, there are hundreds. We actually have a list of over 100 different tools. Uh, I think the first uh, thing I'd recommend to folks is use the tools that folks are already familiar with. Um, so the Google Suite uh, has you know, simple things like Word documents and spreadsheets and PowerPoint slides. Those can be used really effectively, especially when you share the links and make everything editable by the group that you're working with. Um, of, of course, that takes a high trust environment, but I've found that allowing people to write um, their own text and take their own notes that contributes to a larger uh, story of the meeting can be really beneficial for engagement. Um, the other tool that I tend to use a lot that folks may not know about is called Miro uh, Boards, M-I-R-O Boards. Uh, and essentially it's a collaborative whiteboard space Whereas uh, an educational institution, you can sign up for a free account or an individual, you can sign up for a free account. Um, teachers can sign up for accounts that have a little bit more features in them, uh, but anyone can share a link to a board. And what I love about it is it's not a, it's not a defined space. Uh, you can start small and continue to build um, infinitely out from that. Folks often say it feels and looks and acts like Prezi, but I find it simpler uh, because it's one, a collaborative environment, and two, uh, you're not setting up frame to frame to frame. Um, you just have a big whiteboard space. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Paul. That mirror whiteboard is going to be a link on our website. You can access it where you found the podcast. It's a great tool that is pretty intuitive, as Paul said with Prezi. Looking ahead real quick, we do want to make a quick plug for our leadership certificate. Registration is open right now. It will be open through September 21st. That's Monday, September 21st. Yeah, it's a phenomenal experience, Garrett, for emerging leaders, students who want access to foundational leadership ideas and skills. And uh, I would encourage any student to, to consider participating in it. It's very accessible. You know, this year we're able to offer it virtually, so we'll be using some of what Paul mentioned in 
and some of those facilitations. I think at the at the core of it, Garrett, what it does is it teaches a student to really lead themselves first and develop a lot of sense of self-leadership. And, and that is a, a fundamental set of skills that students will need at, here at Gettysburg. And so next episode, actually, we're going to dive into a little bit about what we mean by self-leadership through the lens of effective habits. Yeah, we're looking forward to episode five. It's hard to believe we're already there. But once again, thank you for listening and, and thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. 